sure. I'll talk it out. Yeah. Let's just have a conversation. Track three. <clears throat> Better not be fucking Dave Matthews band. Okay. Those of you who don't want to be a part of this can leave now. Derek, please listen to me. But if you choose to stay, which it seems like you guys are choosing. Derek, please. You understand and agree to the following terms and conditions. Derek! One. Derek, this is the virus. You talking. hereby waive your right Derek, please. to your own personal bodily integrity. This is not you. Two. Per the state versus Neville Reed. My colleague and I will not be held criminally liable for any felony or misdemeanor that you may be a victim of, including, but not limited to, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, disorderly conduct, destruction of property, mayhem, and first-degree murder. And three, terms and conditions may change or be updated whatever the fuck I want! Consider yourselves notified. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. Describe the ruckus, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? Time Radio Podcast, The Hordes of Chaos, episode 180. 180. 180. I mean, that means we've been doing this for 180 weeks. Yeah, I think there's, it's probably more like 175, because I think the first five episodes I posted on Podbean were like older stuff that I hadn't, you know, I'd already done. I just, like, it was like cover uh, podcasts and stuff like that, but... We at least have 175 original content that you and I had started, so... That's pretty awesome. Yeah. We've, uh... I mean, there's there's a lot of them without me, because I'm not home all the time, but it it's something that we've tried to dedicate, you know... We have busy lives. Everybody has busy lives. Um, and 
we want to make sure that it's our little special time every week that we get to hang out. Yeah. Uh, so today we've got, as usual, great music, new and old, coming your way. Uh, great rock block set up for you. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about a documentary about the Princess Diana, which is on... I think it was HBO Max. HBO Max. And, and of course, Neko's pick of the week for her, uh, not, her, not only her rock song, but uh, the movie for the DVD vault. We had, we had a lot of fun with that. And that's going to be, both of those are going to be kind of controversial in some ways. And Princess a little less, but there's some things that people might be surprised when I talk about her a little bit. Uh, so... <laughs> what? Um... And then, of course, uh, for those that don't know, we did an interview with uh, Nunu Lorenzo from uh, SalQ, uh, and we have that on YouTube right now, but uh, you're going to hear it here as well, so as, as it's going to be our main part of our first half of the uh, podcast today, so you'll hear the interview in its fullest. Uh, but let's get into our first block of music, and we've got some brand new stuff from Imana Marth, Soulfly, and Arch Enemy's kicking it off with Deceiver Deceiver.
Hail Bulls and Earth. No, no one else will hear the damn thousand of black metal. Well, the one of me, black metal, damn thousand. And the interpreter of the comments from South You are in the company of DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Pattern Radio. The best place to be. Stay tuned with these legends. Debuting our new liner from Nuno. Thank Nuno. you very much. Nuno. I always say Nuno. I like Nuno. I do too. <laughs> and I like soliloquy. Sol- <laughs> <laughs> He's going to like, I don't know what to do with you guys anymore. Oh, he was so funny last night. We, um, yeah, for the longest time, we, uh, he probably heard us saying, Sulk you. Well, he, well, yeah, he was saying, like, you know, for years, like, I've been pronouncing everything incorrectly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, like, but, yeah, he says he's kind of used to it, and so it's, like, he doesn't really worry about it too much, but, uh, Nunu Lorenzo. So. He's really awesome. Yeah, he's a very cool dude. And uh, he was, uh, enjoying his balcony, um, while we were interviewing him and he's got like a really great view and he's really close to the beach and it's really we had a really good time i'm glad we got to talk to him yeah yeah a lot of fun but uh as i said before we did a an interview with them on our youtube channel last night but we took that clip uh the interview and we're putting it in here and searching into the show so for those of you that didn't catch it on youtube or whatever you can catch it here so for the next hour, just sit back and you'll hear our interview with Nunu Lorenzo of Salcu. Enjoy, folks. Hey, hey, DJ Nubis. And DJ Neko. The Metal Table Radio Podcast. We have a special guest, Mr. Nunu Lorenzo. I hope I, I still butchered that shit, didn't I? From Salcu. How are you doing, sir? I'm I'm better now that I've seen that introduction. I cannot top <laughs> that. I'm trying. I'm trying. He's, uh, I, I cannot top that. So the best part of the show has already gone, and it's always down from here. Oh my gosh! No. <laughs> so how are you no. doing, tonight, sir? I'm doing fine. It's uh, nice weather here where I'm staying, and uh, I have uh, a nice view. You do. Um, yeah. So I'm. My office now is in balcony since I moved. I'm. I'm actually. I've actually moved not last week. Uh, I moved up in life, you know, from the second to the ninth floor. Um, and now I have a balcony. So basically, I spend more time here than actually in my bedroom sleeping. That's probably what I would be doing too. <laughs> yeah, if you have a nice day, it's great to sit outside. We have yeah. had really terribly hot weather and then the last maybe week it's cooled down and it hasn't been like murderously hot outside you know i moved here to brazil because i like hot weather i was tired of uh, of big boats so i moved here it's always hot so i'm fine <laughs> it's great for me so i was trying to think of when i actually first met you and i think i was trying to tell her that it when I was still doing the ratings on my blog, I had checked out your uh, Anthropomorphic Souls album, All Hail the Son of the Nothing. And 
I remember really liking that record. I think you actually contacted me somehow, either on Facebook or something, and saying that you were the uh, artist behind that album. Then you were starting to talk about the Soft You project. Uh, so do you remember that, how we actually met at the time? I actually don't remember that because, <laughs> well, uh, I, I tried to forget my pre-SoQ uh, existence as a musician because it was really bad. Not that I'm good now. I'm as I'm not as bad as I was. But um, but yeah, I I probably the the first the first uh, release that I did with time and uh, um, and try to do something different was with that project anthropomorphic soul which was more death metal based mm -hmm. and then I, I moved on to, to, to a more black metal oriented thing especially because I was involved in a, a group in a, a social media called Amino that had one group for black metal and I was involved in it doing reviews and it was it was really nice nice times and and it it that was the reason why i i shifted from from death metal to a more black metal oriented sound still very experimental because that's me that's what i do but uh, but i shifted and it, and also because uh and sorry if this offends anyone it's easier you feel more creative with the black metal yeah uh, well if if you listen to that uh, anthropomorphic soul thing it was really everywhere uh, it, it I, I the riffs were were black uh, were death metal oriented all right but badly played but the the whole thing was really experimental it was completely uh, uh like they i think you call it kitchen sink approach uh, <laughs> so it's yeah it's just yeah mix it all and on a shaker and then just throw it out on a album and um and uh, slowly i progressed into something uh, still experimental but I've slowly grown into something that is more consistent, I believe. Uh, if you listen to my first albums, they are all over the place. And my recent music is more composed, I believe. Yeah, I mean, I, I've loved all your stuff, including the early stuff that you don't want to own anymore. <laughs> but uh, I do remember, like, when, uh, you know, the Salt project with, like, To Whom It Serves the Confidence so Destiny. Uh, the Blackness Within, uh, Lazarus Denied, Pariah, the two that you released this year, The Colossal Weight of My Illusion. Like, I, I see the growth. Like, it's just, you have such a knack of making very interesting uh, black metal, uh, experimental black metal, in fact, uh, which I really enjoy. And it's just like, it just... It, each album seems to get better and better as we go on, which I really and love. And I, honestly, I'm Thank not you. a black metal fan, and I like it, so... Like yeah. I, I, I like uh, experimental and like symphonic black metal, but like straight. I, I will take that as a compliment. Yes, yes. Because <laughs> like some um, I like, I like like Absu, I like um, Demu. Um, yeah, the, like? the more symphonic and melodic stuff. And, yeah, uh, yeah, like yeah. Uh, Mayhem. Immortal. Uh, immortal, you know, not you know, Mayhem. I'm an immortal. Sorry, I like m Immortal. 
<laughs> I like theatrics. Speaking of which, the first record, see, Nunu was so good for uh, sending this out to me for the first <gasps> album. I was so glad to get that. And then also, uh, Zero Nine, you actually correct me on that because I thought it was O Nine, but it's Zero Nine. Zero Nine, okay. The, the uh, Shamanic Trilogy, which I really love a oh, lot, that's, too. Let me see that. It's like three. It's so great. Just, what just is, for your knowledge, there, there should be about five people in the world that owns that uh, that tape. So you're a privileged one or a cursed one. You choose. Yeah. I think it's. So anytime you have anything, I'm going to grab it. <laughs> What is the symbol here? Um, On the uh, zero nine. Yeah, record. it looks kind of like a, a sun. I think I think that's part of his logo for the album or the band, right? The logo in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The logo in the middle is uh, basically something um, that I created myself to accommodate the zero and the none, and it's. Uh, I love not it. supposed to be not it, it's not supposed to be a, 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 a twisted cross basically a, a satanic thing because i'm i'm not into that stuff as i'm not into religious stuff at all i prefer to talk about uh, other other subjects and uh, like depression and void and uh, and uh, emotions um but it uh, it actually like anything else i just basically took on a pen and a paper and and designed it um that's you're what really i do your um your artwork that you've been posting online has been super creative and i'm like it all like you you capture whatever feeling that you're having or you're you're trying to convey like the other day he posted something and he's like oh this is uh to represent um i forgot what it was like this band and you were just kind of playing around with your your yeah. program and i'm like well I, I i should i shouldn't take property full property of of that compliment because basically i use artificial intelligence uh, programs to do the art but uh, so you know what? it's not that easy because I tried it with different things and it didn't come out near as interesting as your stuff. <laughs> well, it, it, you have to know the settings and you have to to be creative with the prompts and the phrases that you use. Exactly. And just experiment. And I actually for this last uh, Salky album, I, I used uh, a very basic app that's out there um, to do using the prompts i used were actually phrases from the lyrics on the album and the ae re replied with with those images and that's, that's what i used yeah i really like it. every time you post a new one i'm like oh okay new wallpaper oh wait here's another one new no new wallpaper it's like just keep going. yeah i'm getting i'm getting better at it, at it actually i'm getting I'm better. in love with this i think i might get this as a tattoo what the zero nine yeah you should, get, like, you should get like a fuck you logo on your back right across the shoulders <laughs> i do i love I, it it would be cute i'm thinking in actually in in revamping the sock logo so probably really? going going for a an artist to do that um a profit a professional artist there are very good ones out there for instance the one that did the logo for thermoline the, the my collaborative a project with the guy from Belgium and the guy from Argentina. 
the that logo for me is the best uh, probably one of the best i've ever seen so that guy is particularly good at it and there are other artists out there very good making logos so i'll that part i'll 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 let the professionals work i feel guilty already for doing art on on ae apps so because there are people actually well it's evolution you know it's something that happens uh, sooner or later but well, the, sure the real the real artist should never be substituted you know right I, I, i'm sure some people look at it as like the easy way out but really like i said unless like you said you've played around with it like you can claim, you can claim that as your own art the stuff that you create more or less well if 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 i look many of the artists out there use uh, use uh, ae art also and use and know how to to work with photoshop and and uh, gimp and other tools so mm -hmm. they're basically doing um their art as digital art so i'm doing the same i'm just right. using pre-prepared tools to do that it's 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 the sign of the times right mm -hmm. so they've learned it one way i'm learning the other with the tools i have in i i have uh, at my disposal so um but uh, but again i i i do not compare myself or i do not compare this art that is created artificially with real art okay right right I mean, it's like photography. When I was in high school and college back in the 90s, <laughs> I took photography, but it was on film, you know, like actual rolls of film, and I developed it on sheets of film in a dark room. So all these things that you're seeing now with filters, doing the sepia toning and the contrast, and I knew how to do that in a dark room i knew how to use a camera because everything was manual now everything like if you want to it has settings it's like okay here's portrait mode and here's landscape mode but like when i went to school it taught you like what aperture settings are better and what shutter speed do you need for sports and so yes it is a little bit more um e easier like especially to learn but it's still it's really it, good to know the it makes it available for everyone you know but the the real artists in photography it's like everything else the real artists are those that know how to work with it and know they and and the, and and you can see you can see the difference between a real professional photographer and one amateur photographer same with art the same thing with art we even we even came across that with our website um you know i was trying to just go and get like a prepackaged you know how you can just go online and and kind of plug it in and oh look no i have a friend who she's been doing this for years and she did kind of have like a baseline like okay we have this is what the look that she wanted but then she like made everything so when he posts um the podcast it like automatically posts to the website but it also posts to like all these other places and so yeah there's tools out there but you still need to know what you're doing yeah the 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 thing that i that i find uh, that may be in my favor is the following 
most artists out there like myself who doesn't have money to do uh, doesn't earn any money from from the mu from the music yeah. that we basically don't have the money to invest we invest already so much in 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 the instruments and the and even time right mm -hmm. that when it when it comes to release stuff if you're going to buy real art from real artists it's going to cost you and you don't have and you'll never you'll never see that money back okay um and these these tools provide me and provide others guys like me with the possibility of of having good artwork in their in their digital releases you know without having to spend that money so i think it's a fair game in that aspect it's a fair game for guys like me obviously big bands that have big labels behind them they can pay those artists that that do deserve to earn that money but for poor guys like myself let's use the tools that we have at, at our our hands and uh, i i shouldn't be blamed for it um i don't think again no. i think everything that you're doing is you know you're using the tools that you have available to make the best art that you have yeah yeah exactly and i'm excited too because you've come up with a lot of cool concepts for new future releases so i'm really curious what you're going to do or use on the next uh, release that you have he's going to make a so cute like um book of all of his artwork and <laughs> then just cool. like you know, I already have artwork enough. Uh, I, I've been a bit obsessed with this AI, AI thing. You know, the uh, the the artificial intelligence. intelligence really cool. I've been a bit obsessed these last weeks with it, and I actually already have art for the rest of my life. In, in <laughs> <laughs> even if I record, if I, even if I continue recording like four or five albums per right. year, I can I can I already have art for it. But uh, the thing is. I have a few plans. I already, I, I always have plans. Normally, they shift completely um, from one, even from one day to the other. Mm -hmm. But I'm right now. I'm trying to start um, a project that is a dream of mine, Salkyu related and that will take its time and i'm i can meantime release other salky albums but there is one album one salky album i want to do and i already have the concept and the art for it and i'm i'm going to have help from other people for oh, the lyrics wow. for instance and uh, probably i will ask for some of uh, some music also oh wow but it's um it's uh, it's a long it's a long-term project because um, I think I, I will not hide it. My 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 biggest uh, dream uh, since I started the the one that remains to be to be to be um, accomplished is to have one salt you album on vinyl. Okay, so vinyl is the thing, and I will I will try my best. To fulfill that fulfill that oh, we'll buy so, it. <laughs> so 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 i will i will be working on that i will as a side project uh, as a long term because you know all with talk you is about the immediate mm -hmm. it's about the right now uh, let's go i record an album five days and 
in the day that I end with the last track, I release the album, basically. That's how I do things. And this time I will have a side project with time to work on it uh, with a very specific goal in mind. Um, maybe mid to long term, I don't know, but I know exactly um, how I want to do it and with whom I want to do it. That's so exciting. So, yeah, I think when you get to that point, when you're ready for that record, uh, you know, we'll have to like donate some funds to help you get that. Yeah, vinyl you could for start. It. You could start like a Patreon or something because I know when you do vinyl, it you have to pay for a pressing. Like they have a minimum that you have to pay for in order for you to get it done. Well, the idea is to have a label behind me to do that, uh, <laughs> and and and, uh, and uh, I will probably have. But I will say no more because I don't want to spoil it. Uh, right. I don't spoil it. Uh, now, you talked about how your lyrics and your music influence your art and the creation of that. What influence do you take into the actual music that you present to everybody? Well, when I started Salt Q, I had a few... I come from a progressive rock background, okay? I listen to progressive rock since I was about 11 years old because of my older sister. And then by the age of probably 15 or something, I started uh, going into metal. So my two backgrounds, and, and I'm from my, my teenage years were in the 80s, the best time to be alive probably. So yes, I'm old. Um, I, turned, I actually turned 53 years old last week, as you may know. Um, 52, so, right? So, yeah. 31. So, old school, old school, but just as a side note here and a parenthesis, um, I'm not the, like the, the usual old school people that uh, only listens to old school stuff and that oh, those were the days and nobody did does. Right. No, I do think, actually, I do think I I still love to hear the classics and the old school and the things that I started listening on the 80s and the, when I discovered death metal in the late 80s and early 90s, it was mind-blowing for me. But um, I actually think that the music that is done today is the best, the best ever. So, and every year I'm, I'm blown away by releases. But when I started SalQ and that was the sorry the parenthesis uh back to your question when i started salt you i had influences such as uh, dicatafolk and the uh, pandemonium um things that that are quite experimental um and and i i tried to um in, in my best because of my inability as a as a technique my technical ability is well in existence so um so i tried to somehow mimic the um, the ideals behind bands such as those but with my personal touch and uh, um, and that's how salkyu has evolved since then i i, I think i've passed that uh, a bit and uh, I've always been trying new things, like I did uh, poetry albums, uh, such as Orfeo or or even Ignobil, the two Portuguese uh, spoken albums I have. So they are actually poems. Um, and but I'm always trying to do 
something that I didn't do yet. I'm always trying to to do different things and going. Um, I won't lie about that. Going to towards always towards a more black metal, uh, solid sound and mm -hmm. less experimental. But uh, I still con I, I I continue to experiment with things. I I do love the atmospheric and the avant-garde side of of black metal. I've always did. Um, probably the first real innovative black metal related well people think may may argue that it's not black metal but i i still remember i was always a death metal guy but when i in 1997 i heard arcturus uh, la mascara infernal it just blew me away and and uh, i think and then i started discovering die catafalk and jire other projects by that hungarian guy which is amazing and I, I, maybe that was the seed that was planted on, on 1997. Yeah, I, I actually think, I only think. started playing about nine years ago. So uh, I've never played in my life. I, when my kids were born, I basically <laughs> decided to buy a guitar in the past and just started recording. Yeah, it's interesting because your path to musical taste is almost like mine because just like you in the late 80s, I had come out of the hard rock and hair rocker into like thrash. And then probably around 89 or 90, I started checking out Napalm Death and Morbid Angel and Entomb. But then like you in 97, uh, when I, it kind of, the death metal scene had kind of gone underground, like it was just kind of dormant because of everything else that was going on. And uh, I went and picked up uh, Emperor's uh, Anthem's album as well as Dimu's uh, Darkness Triumphant. And that was my introduction to the black metal. So, yeah, kind of funny how you and I were kind of like on this same trajectory in terms of taste. <laughs> it, you I think all, all, all metal heads should have their evolution in terms of, and, and especially the old guys like us, right? So, mm -hmm. we, 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 we have across the whole, all generations of, of, uh, of uh, metal until now, we, we have been there. So we, we've seen it evolved since the start, since its inception, basically. Yep. So it's natural, more than the, the new guys that go into, but even those normally start with the hard rock or even, um, I don't know, uh, metalcore and then start listening to other th uh, stuff and start liking it um from what i've seen black metal guys are a bit different they when they go into black metal they stay in black metal mm -hmm. um, but uh, well i it, to, to to each one its own so i don't i don't really discuss those things people call me the uh, the, the ultimate poser and i don't really care about that <laughs> Perhaps wow. I am. That's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> no, I think you're awesome. I I mean, how many instruments do you know how to play? I won't reveal that <laughs> because the answer is none. <laughs> Stop. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know the other the other, about that the other day I was discussing with a neighbor here. He was uh, I was telling him I release albums and such and uh, the, the guy was asking oh so do you play guitar and do you want to play in our parties etc you know I don't know 
how to play guitar i i i can no the the thing that but you don't practice no i don't practice when i sit down is to record i don't practice at all when i go to the studio i hit the record button and i pick the guitar and most of my albums are actually improvised okay really so, wow I never trained or practiced any any riffs before I start recording. Oh, that's crazy! Um, Amazing. It's 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 crazy. Many people, many people have said that to me. But the thing is, I was talking to the guy, and and he was asking, "But you do, don't you like to to play the guitar? Why don't you play more?" And I said, "No, I what I really enjoy is to compose, not to play." I, I the the thing with me the, the 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 thing that really consumes me and gives me the the mental healing and the cathartic moments that I need is is assembling the track is is composing the track is uh, assembling the various pieces so I record the guitar I add uh, some effects I add uh, samples I do some keyboards etc uh, etc et and that part of the assembly is the is is what really makes me um, is my my motor you know my my go-to plan uh, and the last thing I do normally in, in a track is the vocals, and I ninety-five percent of the times I do it in first take and without even trying before, because I, I really I just I have the 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 microphone and the, the lyrics on my cell phone, and I I'm just reading the lyrics while I do the, the stuff, and that. I know I know it's different from many people, but that's basically how I do a full album in five days. I I go to the studio for in four hours. I have a twelve-minute uh, track full ready. Obviously, and uh, this is something that people has been telling me for a while. But why don't you curate your tracks? Why don't you spend time with them? Why don't you uh, better them? Why don't you try to do something really grand? And I, it's not my thing. My thing is the immediate. My thing is, I want to let let it out, you know. And uh, I I record it in in a frenzy manner, and I want to to release it in a frenzy manner. That's why two hours after I finished the an eighth track of an album, I release the album. Uh, as is, I don't even care about mixing or no, because that, that, like, that's me. It's 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 the immediate, the the compulsive thing. It gives you that emotion, like you're capturing your emotion at that time while you're recording, so you'll be able to kind of feel that when you listen back to it. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say it's like I can actually kind of appreciate that because even though I don't have any musical talent. I often thought to myself, well, what would I have done if I ever stuck with guitar, if I stuck with the drums? Like, what have I really wanted to be on the road most of the year touring? Is this something I've been interested in? A lot of that didn't really appeal to me. I mean, I think playing in front of people is great, but I'm more like you. I'm, I'm more like, well, I've got so many different interests that I would rather just kind of put together a record and put it out because I'm feeling it at that time. For you, it's it's cool because it's more like therapy rather than a career or a job. It's yeah. like you just do it right on the fly if you're feeling it at that moment. So I think 
I don't think people are appreciating when you're doing this. Like when they say that you need to carry it, I think that's you're actually second guessing everything. You're just kind of like, oh, this is how I'm feeling. I'm just gonna give it to you raw and real right now. And I think that's a great thing. I really like I that approach. People find it hard to believe that I do those albums in in such uh, short periods of time. But uh, I have a, a full time job, so I have two kids, two nine year old twins. I have a family. I have things to do. So when I when in those rare moments that I have to go to the studio, I take the most out of it. You know. So uh, it's really those moments are for recording, are for doing music. And to be honest, I've I've actually only listened to my last album after I released it. Um, this is weird, strange. People normally find it again find it hard to believe, but actually this is truth. I only after I released the album I listened to it as a whole. So. Um, in, in people were, were telling me because I normally put on my Facebook my the, the, the albums that I listened the most during the week, and people were, were joking with me, Oh, you're listening to your own albums, etc. etc. And I told them, eh, Listen, I only actually listened to the album after I released it, so obviously, I'm listening to it now. Um, it's, it's on my chart because it because I'm listening to it. Uh, and uh, I, I went, sometimes I go to revisit some of my old albums and I, and I ask myself, how the hell did I do this? Um, because I don't know, I, right now uh, I'm not in the same, in, in the same uh, feeling or vibe that I was when I recorded that. Okay, so that's why my albums are so different from each other because they always represent a very specific time frame where I had a very specific uh, mindset and vibe. Okay, it's hard to, to explain, but it's the best I can do. Yeah, you gotta be in the right headspace for whatever it is you're doing. It's almost like you were doing a live performance while you were recording it. It's gonna be a different experience for you every time you're going to pick that up and do it again. And for you, when you're saying you're improving so much of your music, it's never going to be like you're going to just get in and play the same thing over and over again. It's more, like you were saying, cathartic for you to just yeah. express your emotions through your music. Actually, I never played that, those riffs again in my Ooh. life. <laughs> right? I recorded them. They're recorded, they're released. I'm not uh, doing live shows. I don't have a band. I'm a solo, I'm a rat basement, you know, those guys that live in the basement and do uh, recordings and scream to a microphone. That's basically me. I And I will never play those riffs again. So that w my albums capture uh, a moment in time that that's yeah. not to be repeated. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I talked to her a lot about it. It's like, over the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, I've discovered so many great artists such as yourself that are just their own guys doing their own thing. And I, like sometimes I'll listen to a record that I just come across and I'm like, this is really fucking good. I wonder who this band is. And I find out like one person, like, this is so crazy because that's so great. Mm -hmm. 
that you guys can do this kind of stuff. Like it sounds like a band thing, but it's just you. It's your it's your whole concept. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. So what kind of uh programming or setups do you use to create this monster that you have? Monster. Well <laughs> I I started, like I said, I started uh, playing about nine years ago. So I basically installed, I, I, I bought a tower PC, you know, for just for my music. It's not connected to the internet. Uh, it's right there in order to, for me to, re I, I, I have an interface that uh, um, basically connects my guitar to the computer. And I use the same program for uh, recording and editing as I've used since ever, which is Cakewalk Sonar X3, I believe it's something like that. I know that there are a lot better ones out there right now, but I've used the same. I, I'm, I'm always using the same. And, um, and my gear is not, uh, is not uh, that I have a microphone. I have, now I have two guitars. I, I had to sell my bass. Uh, when I came here to Brazil, um, and my semi-acoustic guitar, so part of my gear was sold in order for me to move. Um, so I I do have uh, and use lots of VSTs, uh, and um, VSTs are, you know, um, software that you can where you can emulate uh, different instruments. So I use that a lot with the keyboard, um, a basic keyboard, uh, a Holland uh, basic keyboard, only MIDI player. So, and that's basically it. Uh, it's a very poor system. I do use um, samples. I do use samples um, and loops. Um, when when I have to, I use I'll use it sometimes for different uh, sound experiences. I I go check uh, YouTube to see if there's anything I can use and uh, use as uh, uh, background uh, sounds and effects. So I basically whatever is at hand, I'll use. Very nice. But, but my gear is very limited. Well, it works for you. That's what's important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned in Echo that uh, when you moved from Portugal to Brazil, that some of it had to do with the movie The Great Showman. Did you want to kind of elaborate on why that was? Well, talking about movies, right. Um, <laughs> Just a little okay. bit if you want. Then, I'm, I'm not much of a movie guy, you know, because, and, and for years, I don't, I don't quite remember last time I went to, to a cinema, but there was this time when I, I was, um, I was in need to, to decide about my life and uh, I wasn't happy in, uh, with, uh, with my lifestyle in Portugal. And uh, I wasn't happy with the time I had for my family, and uh, I wasn't happy with anything, basically. So there was this possibility of moving to to a new country to try a new thing. This at the age of 50, so people call me crazy, but they're not lying when they say that. Um, and actually, when I was in the process of deciding, 
I saw that movie on I was home alone uh, one afternoon and there was that this movie I'm, I'm not into musicals okay but for some reason for some reason I was in front of the TV when the time when when the movie the movie started and I watched the movie okay so it was almost like I had to see that um, that was the first the first hint and the movie actually connected with with me in different ways in 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 the way of the guy the guy in the movie um Hugh Jackman if you know yeah Hugh, Hugh Jackman uh um but the the character that that is playing it basically puts it all on stake for a dream okay so basically he sells out for with a goal with with and it shifts his life for a goal for the family for um and and he bets all you know he puts all, all the whole bet on the table to to do that thing he's all in yeah he's all in he's all in on, on his dream on his life-changing uh dream he's all there he, he he goes for it and the whole film there are a few uh things that try to and 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 sometimes in in little things succeed in in deviating him from his path but he actually never deviates from his path you know and he, he stays truthful to what took him in that direction and uh, and and during the film things happen in the way that it seems like they are supposed to happen that way he, he knows people in the right circumstances and the guys that will be quite important to further on uh, so there are a, a, a sequence of of things from decisions to uh, um, coincidences or things that look like destiny um that that make him go through his life fulfilling making that shift in his life but always following the line that he had in mind okay um and in fighting for it even even against all odds even against uh disasters fires um and accusations of uh, treasury or etc but the guys always stays truthful to his principles and and uh, the thing that that really marked marked me was that at the time that was the movie that i needed to see to 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 take my decision okay to to make my decision of okay the, doesn't matter what what how old i am doesn't i need to do this <laughs> and it was it was a big a big um, it it was a big moment for me in terms of of deciding what my future life will be i don't know the future from now but uh, i know what has happened to me after that change and uh, and all i can say is that it, it my quality of life not in terms of money or anything but my quality of life has improved significantly with that with that change with that decision i took okay
Yeah, we, uh, you know, as we get older, we constantly deal with the same things. Like, we, we're not afraid to make changes if we think it's going to improve our lives. So I can totally see where you're coming from. I was 37 when I decided to start sailing. Like, most yeah. sailors are 18, they're or they're right out of maritime school. I, midlife crisis, I think. I was like, up, oh, going to go sail. <laughs> that, that's what I thought, you know, midlife crisis is... <laughs> But uh, the the thing is, the the thing is, uh, the movie itself is is about that. It's about completely changing your life and betting everything on that change, even if it goes wrong. But at least you tried, you know. And and that was what's what uh, uh, struck uh, struck uh, strike me. What strike me? I'm sorry, as you know, I'm I'm not I'm not a, a English speaker. In okay, so I try my best. Perfect. I think I have a good vocabulary anyway. But uh, I have a better I have a better handling of English than you do, and I still screw it up. So you you have the excuse. You I don't speak multiple <laughs> languages. I mean, I do speak five languages. To be That's great. Um, but. Uh, that that was the importance of the movie and why even if it's not the best movie i've ever seen it's probably one of the most important movies i've ever seen because it, is it was it was meaningful and it helped me uh on on a, on a, a specific time in my life when i needed to take a, a very rough tough and difficult decision and the the movie actually had an impact on the decision I took. So it's because of that. It's uh, one of the movies of my life. Not not because it's uh, the, the the film is actually pretty good. Even the music is good in the in that movie. Yeah, we haven't um, had a chance. To I can't believe yet, I haven't though. seen it. Uh, we probably will at some point. I think yeah. when it. I, when it came out, I was not sailing. I was still working, you know, my regular office job. And I was also a dance teacher. And that year I was teaching dance and my girls were going to dance competitions and the music was everywhere. And I said, I'm tired of all the greatest showmen. I don't want to hear yeah. these songs anymore. So I never watched the movie, but I love musicals. You should, you should watch over. The other, the other thing that uh, that got my attention on it is because it it also deals with with the with the misfits, with the freaks, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I've always been a bit of a misfit in society, a bit of a freak. Not not physically. Well, uh, besides my my beer belly, okay. So, <laughs> but I've I've never been like. Uh, but um, even that part was somehow related uh, with me okay so the 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 even the misfits have the opportunity even the mif misfits have a meaning a meaning to to the whole to the to, to the to the system to to the uh, the um, they're not insignificant no one is is, is insignificant okay right. everyone has its value uh, you you probably many people never uh is never able to find the value that they have or which is unfortunate but everyone has its value i'm 
they just need to search for it and that film touches also that that part of of uh, of uh, uh, taking the best out of the guys that are out the outcasts and uh, also like i said that also um had a connection with me because i've been i've always been some sort of outcast and uh, misfit um so there you have it yeah uh speaking of which because you know you said it's better for yourself that you moved out there but your family too we catch you with a lot of pictures of your kids and your wife on the, on the beach, beach. <laughs> uh how do you find that balance between your your music and the family life how, how do you work that out do they support you in all this there is no balance <laughs> that's the secret the secret is there is no balance the, the i'm always is, it sounds like the hulk <laughs> the secret is uh if if you notice i i released in within a within a month and a half i released two albums okay two full two full albums and between that i had three weeks of vacation when i went to portugal visit my family and i went to london to show london to the kids so basically i recorded one album went on vacations came back and record uh, recorded a, a second album so the balance is something why did i record that second album because i was here home alone for one week my my family only returned one week after myself so basically i took that time i was alone to release an album and that's basically what i do i there is no balance when when you have to to be with the family and most time you do you don't have time to 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 record i don't have time to go to studio and uh, my kids are tremendously demanding um their little ghouls from hell uh, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, in a way they are a source of inspiration for black metal right so i have two ghouls from hell here in house which are a source of of inspiration um, but the thing is um when i have that time and i never know when why when i have it i try to take uh, the most out of it so you just capitalize on as much time i that just capitalize yeah i can um, tell you that last year i was I was for about six or seven months without picking my guitar. So uh, I, the the second half of the year, I didn't I didn't push the record button or anything. So I I, I spent seven months without playing. Right. So that that's it. Basically, there is no balance. You just have to take it as it is. When it when the time comes, you grab it. Yeah. So you talked about you did a collaboration uh, with the guy from Belgium on a record. I have a scenario for you, if you oh, no. could. What are your top three dream collaborations that you would like to work with in the future, if you could? So three artists that you would really love to work with. Well, okay. Well, one, I think I already know one of them, but one, one is obvious, right? One one is absolutely obvious. I will never get that there, but uh, collaborating with the the almighty Devin Townsend. Was, yes, because yes, yes. <laughs> you are obvious. the black metal Devin Townsend. Yeah, yeah, because I'm the. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Um, I'm uh, no, I'm the wannabe. 
black metal there in town. Um, now the from for many years I there was one artist that I thought that I would love to work with, not because I I, I don't I can't even explain why, but it's uh, Dan Sueno. Oh yeah, that'd be so sweet. Dan Sueno, especially because of his uh, his album, uh, it's basically a, a metal album with Marillion-like keyboards that he has, a Moon Tower, yeah. and uh, that 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 album real always fascinated me because it it is the it is the crossover between the early '90s progressive rock and the and death and uh, metal so it's a crossover it's really fantastic and so dan sueno would be one of the guys that i would love to work with probably the third guy mm, i'm i'm in doubt here between nas the guy from from uh, uh auratus and the uh, Achilles and the uh, nightbringer um or the guy from Icat Falk and Jire, the Hungarian guy, which I'm just having a blank here and can't remember the name, but is 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 a maestro, is a, a master of his game. So I would love to to work with him. Yeah, as as one of you ever hear uh, Sueno, I think it was Edge of Sanity did that uh, police cover Invisible Sun. I always enjoyed yeah. the show. It was something different that they were doing. I just, I really enjoyed that a lot. Absolutely. I'm, I'm going just because I'm, I'm, I'm having a blank, and the the guy from Guy uh, the Falk, the Hungarian guy, is oh, um, Tamash, Tamash Katai. Okay, Tamash. So Tamas would be the third, probably, the guy that I would love to work with. Very nice. I should try to hook you up with the guy. I, I, I think his name's Chris, and uh, I think he's from Norway. Maybe I have to be. Sh I have to double Which check. Which one? Chris with a K? Uh, no, uh, no. Uh, but he, uh, his, he's a, a solo guy too. But he does like a lot of influence from like Enslaved and stuff like that. But he likes a lot of the prog stuff that you do. I'll have to try to hook you two up. I think it'd be kind of cool for you guys to kind of chat and see if you can come up with anything because he's pretty talented too. You, you know, I, I don't know if you know this, but I actually, before I, I started playing music, I was a, a writer, a CD, a CD reviewer. Oh, that's cool. Of, for 10 years, I wrote for an American site called Prognosis, um, strictly about progressive rock. So actually, during ten years, I was basically only listening to progressive rock and then on the side metal. And one day, I just I wrote about one thousand and eight reviews or something like that during oh, that wow. period. And one day, I woke up and said, "I don't want to write anymore. I want to do my own music." And that's how, basic again, it's always compulsive things and uh, my my wife uh, she she tells me that all the time you're too compulsive you do things without thinking yeah no, it's how i am those things are 
really compulsive. So I just stopped writing and uh, bought a guitar and a bass and started playing. That's what I did. That's how I ended up with four spiders. <laughs> yeah, exactly. in, in October of 2021, he decided that he wanted to um, start raising spiders. So it's not even been a year and he has four tarantulas and he raises raises them and he also um does like these special terrariums where like there's moss i've, I've seen the pictures yeah, I, yeah. I, i've seen the pictures but so, the curious curious thing uh is that many years ago well my 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 I left my parents' home when I was 20, okay, and went to the military, and I was an army officer for seven years. Oh, wow. And when I, when I got out, I, um, I opened a pet shop. The, the, before I went to the IT world, where I've been for more than 20 years now, I had a pet shop. And uh, I, I had tarantulas in the pet shop. And the, 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 the pet shop was in a, in a mall in the shopping mall and i i perfectly remember that okay so the pretty part of me is not from now it's always been there okay so i would pick the tarantula put it in my head and go to the coffee to the, the, the coffee shop to buy a coffee you put it on your head yeah yeah exactly so I would, this, this is no i'm not not joking you around i would pick the tarantula put it in my head and went to the coffee shop for uh, a coffee <laughs> and people oh, wow. start screaming and <laughs> so okay so basically you have the picture um it's me in a nutshell the guy with the <laughs> head. I, I, did, I didn't do that with the scorpions okay no, no, no. i had scorpions there but i didn't but with right. the rentals i would and there was one guy who bought me about five or six tarantulas. He, he, the, the guy was crazy about tarantulas. So I know everything about that, Melissa, believe me. So, they're very beautiful. We were just admiring them earlier. They just, they're so colorful. And you probably in Brazil, you see them just where we live. There's no tarantulas, but like, I'm sure the one of them, Cruella, are, is a Brazilian. She's uh, Costa Rican. Oh, Costa Rican, I'm sorry. No, there are, there are tarantulas here, but uh, I haven't yet seen uh, one on the wild, fortunately, because um, most of them here are venomous. So yeah. I prefer, I prefer not. The ones I had in the, in the, in the shop were not venomous. Uh, no, ours are not either. And if you were in the United States, if you were on the East Coast, if you go towards the Southwest or further West, you can find some out in the wild. Yeah. They're, they're just crawling around. But we know he his first tarantula that he got, she was, or he, was a baby. Like this teeny, teeny, tiny thing. And now she's like maybe... About the size yeah. of a finger. Maybe. About that big oh. yeah. She's she's grown or he. I keep saying she. We thought it was a she, and now after he's molted a few times, we've realized it's a he. But he's so pretty. He's orange and black. You never know. You never know about the pronouns anymore. So, right. Yeah. It's it's you have to get used to 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 to, to our times, right? <sighs> You yep. never know about the pronouns that you should use nowadays. <laughs> right. 
Well, before we uh, bring this to a close, tell people how they can find you in your music on the web right now. Well, it's quite um, difficult to find because I'm completely underground. I'm the underground of the underground as, uh, as a real uh, wannabe black metal Devin um, But the best way is to actually um, look up in Google or something or in Bandcamp for Salkyu, uh, the name that it's right here, uh, here, right? Uh, yeah, right here. Right and uh, salkyu.bandcamp.com. All my music is there. Um, not my old, my, not all of my projects because as you know i have a few uh, my main project the one that has more releases is salkyu but i i'm also the guy behind uh, zero nine uh, which actually is my most successful one oh, even no, if it no. only has four eps but it's my most successful and uh, i i also have uh, a collaboration project called thermolin which was fortunately considered by many sites and websites and even re uh, reviewers like one of the best albums last year black metal albums and yeah. uh, it was really cool uh, but i also have zood and the uh, nova mencer which is a portuguese name so i'm all over the place and uh, probably until the end of this year i will have a new one collaborative with the french guy which uh, will be called Ash slash Ash. Um, so there will be news um, coming up in the next few months. Uh, but again, the main project, uh, which I have the biggest discography, nine full lengths in four years or five years, something like that. Crazy. It's SalQ. So SalQ.bandcamp.com and you can listen to it. And you can always hear my metal time radio. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. all the time. Yeah, if, if, if people would, would believe you, uh, I would be rich by now. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's bad news for you, sorry to- It is bad news for us. For, uh, it's sorry for being me bringing that up, okay? But nah. we, we, we won't stop playing your stuff. We, we love will it. always play your stuff. It's actually kind of interesting because like um, when we're, you know, we put our stuff on the web and it'll tell us like how many people, it doesn't tell us how many people stream it, but it tells us how many people download it. And it's been all over the place over the, since I got home in May. So, you know, some stuff will have like low downloads and some stuff will have really high downloads and there's no reason for it. We look at what music we've been playing, what we might've talked about. And I'm like, there's no reason. Like the, it makes no, no, no sense. Yeah. Like why this one's getting more downloads than this one. It's, it's a, a Russian roulette. You never it know. It really is. For just to give you an example, my last album hasn't had a single review uh, out there. You, you can you can Google for it. It's nowhere. It's only on my Bandcamp, and uh, some people mention it in forums all over the net. But that's it. It doesn't. Uh, but I'm I'm used to it. It's nothing that bothers me because again, I do music for the and I've told you this I think a few times. I I don't do music for money, I do music 
to as a healing process and uh, and the, the the cathartic moments that it provides me yeah. and obviously i love when people likes it it's it it it, it makes my day but the basic principle behind it is uh, is for me is 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 a process for me for myself it's it's something for me uh, i obviously like to release it and that other people listen to it but the main the main thing behind it is it, it was made for me so yep. that's the most important part I, I agree. I feel everything when you with through your music. Like I really do feel it, and I think that's what makes it special. Thank you, thank you, Melissa, and thank you. I hope I was not um, uh, well. I, I was not uh, boring or anything like that. Nope. I no. I appreciate very much the opportunity that you provided me. We were so happy was, to have you. Yeah, and looking I, for. Uh, Thank you, James. And they've always been there since the start of my journey. We call it the journey. Yeah, my journey. You've always been there and always been supportive. And uh, there are a few things that I I do not forget. There are a few principles that I follow, and uh, and supporting the guys or uh, cherishing sharing cherish um okay so uh um being appreciative of the guys that have been there for me since the beginning is something that that i treasure and you are one of the guys that i really treasure for that okay well thank you sir thank and I'm, you. i consider you a friend as well as one of my favorite artists so i do appreciate this very greatly uh thank you james hang around and uh thank you Melissa. Well, we'll talk to you in a whole one second, so just hold on. We're going to pause, and we'll get you offline. Yep. Okay. Hold on. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Introducing the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast, available today on your favorite podcast platform. Metal Tavern is a heavy metal, rock music, and movie podcast where they discuss movies, music, current events, and feature live interviews with bands, artists, and YouTube personalities. They spotlight independent labels and feature the underground bands the label represents. Again, that's the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Stream it today on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podbean, YouTube, and at the website MetalTavernRadio.com. Many episodes up for you to listen to already, and make sure you subscribe to be notified of future releases. That's the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Go listen, download, and subscribe today. You can also connect on Facebook, search Metal Tavern Radio, and follow the guys on Twitter at DJ Anubis88 and DJ underscore Nico Catfreak. So there you have it, Nuno, Nuno, Nuno from Selkyu. Very much again, thank you, Nuno, for doing the interview with us. Uh, we loved having you on. It was a blast to finally talk to you and see you in person. It's been way too long since we hadn't been around to get around to do that. So I'm glad that uh, we finally got that done. Uh, great guy, great uh, talented artist, and you need to get out and check out his music, Pronto. I mean, he, he is so amazing. He does everything himself. He's so creative, and I, I loved hearing about his uh, creative process where he's like, I just do it. I, I he's, he's not practicing. He's not, like, sitting down and, 
and working and just writing, writing, writing. It's all very impro improvised, mm -hmm. and I I can really feel him in his. That sounds so dirty. I really <laughs> I really feel how he feels in his music because that's how he goes about it. He's not trying to um, make some kind of overly produced sounding thing. He wants to just express himself, and I think that's amazing. Yeah. So again, many thanks, sir. Appreciate it. Uh, getting back into our music, uh, I got some stuff from Hard Life Promotions, Bad Dog Productions, uh, new stuff from uh, Shuriken Cadaveric Entwinement, Abaddon Incarnate, and provided by Everlasting Speed Records, this is Writhing of Earth and Flesh.
were so damn sure that you were so much better.
Hey, DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course everyone's favorite atomic breathing lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaboration with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw, real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y. Sci-Fi Century. Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla-related information. Peace. Getting ready to jump into our rock block. We got some brand new stuff from Savage Master, whom Neko didn't really care for yesterday or the day before when I listened to him. What? Uh, we got her pick, of course, of the week. Should be a familiar face. Uh, new stuff by Paralyzed. Uh, this is a band that, when I saw the name, I was like, well, why is it classified as rock? But it almost came out sounding like The Doors, so I actually really liked it. Oh, cool. Uh, Metal Devastation promotion sent us Mindless Hope. Uh, I also got a chance to check out the Jeff Beck and Johnny Depp uh, album. So we got a track from them. Oh, wow. It wasn't too bad. And then we're going to kick it off, though, with a band called Obiot. And uh, this actually made my best of the year in terms of rock music. So this is called Eyes and Soul. <laughs>
everybody. This is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 to noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. from Jeff Beck and Johnny Depp. That was pretty nifty. Yeah, a little bit. They have some vocals too and some other songs, but that was a pretty song I liked. So. so now it's time for your pick of the week. Well, this is a pretty easy one. I mean, you put it in rock, but I, I, I feel like it's... Well, it, it always we always borderline like with the rock stuff, whether it's like new metal or, you know, modern rock, etc. So really... 
it's not near as heavy as some of the other stuff that we listen to throughout the rest of the podcast, but we've done this band in this section before, so... In this section. <laughs> so, this is probably a favorite between the two of us. We're always, like, talking about this song and, and laughing about it, and it's one of my favorite songs, actually, like, and the whole album, when I, um, when I go for my walks when I'm away, I listen to the album, and, um, so the band we're talking about is Korn, and I know we've talked about Korn a hundred times on the podcast, but this song, for some reason, we just, you and I, always, um, we love the intro, and we'll go, four, four, <laughs> four, so, I, um, I don't have much to say about it, I mean, do you have any to say about corn yourself no um, i just you know i know this is like you know one of your favorite songs that we always talk about so it's literally one of my favorite songs i can listen to it on repeat sometimes and uh the song we're talking about is clown it has some good lyrics i mean you know back you know when i was in high school being bullied and stuff this was one of those you know songs that i probably would have enjoyed if, in my high school years but the, the thing is like the, the lyrics that Davis has, like, it, it, it's really pretty smart and, and a wordplay there, you know, it's like, you're prettier than me and type stuff like that, mm -hmm. so uh, I've always enjoyed the way that he used, utilized his lyrics with this song, so. Yeah. And I, I, and you know, like, he's been through a lot in his life, and he really did use his music to kind of push forward and and it really i mean you saw they cathartic you know kind of like new new you know as far as like how because we we've talked about it before especially with the first couple of corn records how you know the last songs in both those records are songs where jonathan really dives down into his mm -hmm. emotions and they keep the the recording going as he's literally in tears trying to get through it so it's, it's pretty uh stressful if you're listening <laughs> yeah. to it and know? and honestly like the music is so good while you're listening to the song that it it you know what he's singing about but like the music's so good that even though it's a, a hurtful song that you kind of say to yourself i really it really kind of makes you feel good I, I i even though it's about something terrible he just feel you can feel everything that he's feeling and then the music just is so strong i love it so i present to you without further ado the song clown by corn attention please be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before We will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow, and we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven. Six, five, 
DJ Neko's pick of the week. Alright, go. Four. 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 Oh. Hey, what are you talking about? Hey, Tom's on. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, are you saying so there's no clicks? Hey, Marty, Marty, I'm sorry. Just fucking do it, damn it. Look at Twist. I wish we could put Twist on a fucking tape. Wanna hear it? Fuck you! <laughs> okay. Piece of shit.
What's up, everyone? This is Richie from Grave Huffer, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up. talking um while we were listening to corn and we we also really like the predator movies not all of them but we like predator one and two a lot and i always try to make the predator noises but he tells me i sound more like jonathan davis making clicking noises instead of the predator because i'm like or no thing you told me I sounded like the guy on Grandma's Boy the um the uh tribal guy I forgot what his name was <laughs> oh shit that was so funny oh yeah yeah and uh yeah the the, the, the guy the talk. A, yeah and he'd be like want <laughs> some candy want some candy beef strong <laughs> Beef raw. Oh my god, I love that movie. We we did that movie one time, right? Yeah. All right. Of course. Of course we did. So, we had a chance to actually check out a doc uh, on HBO Max about Princess Diana, whom you know. She uh she died in that horrible car crash in crash in ninety seven. Um. I think it was ninety four. Ninety seven. Was it ninety seven? Mm-hmm. And um. What was interesting about this doc was it literally was only news and media. It was there was no talking over it. There was no people like diving deep. It was just archival footage. Archival footage and um, different interviews that they did. And yeah, you know, even though I was alive back then, and I remember some of the media talking about it and how big they were in terms of, you know, Prince Charles and, and Diana. I didn't pay that much close attention, so when watching this, you got a chance to see just how, like, revered they were. But it was really kind of weird because it was more like uh, almost idolization because on one hand, like, the moment, you know, as you said, Prince Charles sort of stepped out of the box when he married Diana because she wasn't, like, royalty. She was still a lady, you right. know, like, with, she had a lady title, but it well, was... Well, afterwards, but, like... No, no, beforehand, too, uh, I, I, um, I, I told you wrong, but it was different. Like, everybody loved Lady Di. Like, the, she was very humanitarian, um... But it was really weird because She's so much younger. Than they were like everyone was just like, "When are you gonna have a baby? When's another baby?" It was mm-hmm. like it was all about doing the lineage, you know, with the kids and keeping the the bloodline going. And then, of course, as the doc goes on, it starts unraveling some of the other uh, behind the scenes issues between the two of them. And uh, obviously, Diana did a lot of great things. Uh, as you said, with her humanitarian works and how people saw her and she was not afraid to kind of speak her mind. But there were also people who felt... Because, like, there were times when Princess Diana was like, you know, I don't like the media. It's, I don't like being in the spotlight. But then there's other times they felt that 
she was seeking out the media, using it to her advantage for whatever cause she had, which mm -hmm. you could say, well, that's a good thing, but it, it did come off as contradictory on her part. Um, but I found myself, like, I remember when I heard about her passing away in a car accident, I'm like, obviously, I'm no fan of paparazzis. Like, I think they are very, like, shitty people. Mm -hmm. Like, they, I mean, obviously, they have the freedom to do their job and whatever, but they're just not very good people most times because they really do push the boundaries of invasive privacy on people. Uh, but as the doc was unraveling towards the end, like, you started seeing some of the cracks in Diana's armor as a person. So, like, even though now many people still kind of, like, highly regard her as this great, great person, you kind of find out that, really, she was just as bad as Prince Charles in some ways because of the cheating she was doing and, like, the the last person she was with in the car accident, Syed or something, Syed. Mm -hmm. Uh, she had actually engaged in a relationship with him when he was already engaged to somebody else. So from that point of view, like I kind of lost a lot of respect for her in that way because a lot, you know, Prince Charles took a lot of the heat through his own uh, affairs, especially with was it Camellia something? Mm -hmm, and he's married to her now, so like that was his love, he, like he, that was admitted, and I mean they even interviewed. Princess Diana at one point and she's like well there wasn't really a whole lot of room for three people in this marriage right. like, he, her whole goal was to have those kids and for whatever like they're, they've admitted like that Charles did not want to marry her like it's kind of been like that that was a and I don't think like the royal family because she was always kind of an outsider like she wasn't she was doing what she was supposed to do but she was also like seemed a lot more approachable she was always well the same thing kind of happened with sarah ferguson uh, another one of the women in the royal family that kind of like left due to you know the pressures of the royal family and and i think that's partly why even now we talked about a little bit megan uh, markle kind of deals with the same kind of shit well they um left. They, right they but they but they had issues with the family mm -hmm. and it's been pretty clear but uh this new york post uh probably a while dated a while back but it talks a little bit about uh, a little bit of the diana stuff that i was getting to was uh, Diana also refused to take any blame in the collapse of her marriage to acknowledge that her increasing hysteria, her constant self-harm, suicide attempts, and rage-filled tantrums were enough to push anyone away. Instead, she told Morton her shrink uh, the, uh, upon the diagnosis. He said, there's nothing wrong with you, it's your husband. More crucially, Diana hid key information from Morton. Her, she herself had cheated on Charles with more than one man early and often. There was her bodyguard, 37-year-old Barry Manneke in 96 or 86, uh, a Carl Salesman, uh, James Gildney uh, in 89, followed by Oliver Hore, a uh, married art dealer who broke it off only to have Diana stalk him, calling his home about 300 times. And then came uh, rugby player Will Carlin, and most famously James Hewitt, who publicly came to his involved Diana from 86 through 91. Wow. So, yet as this information slowly dripped out, public opinion remained heavily pro-Diana. So, yeah, so I didn't even know a lot of this. And they, a lot, again, this is sort of my problem with the mainstream media at times, is that they want to paint a picture, whatever the picture they want. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And that's not to take away from the stuff, the good things that Diana did, because she really was beloved by quite a few nations all over the world uh, for the stuff she did. And and to her, in some of her defense, as well as Charles, is that they both were kind of forced into this marriage because, I guess, at the time, Camilla wasn't able to have kids. I don't know. And that might have been, or maybe she was already married or involved, but she, because... Uh, That's the only thing I could think of, because I knew it was a big deal for him... Because Diana was 19 at the time. I don't know how old he was. He had to be quite a bit older. Uh, but the whole goal was obviously to have kids. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I can only assume that the reason why they didn't go with Camille initially is either because she said she was married or that she could not bear children. So maybe that was part of it. Uh, but weirdly enough, they eventually got married anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, the doc is pretty damn good. It, like you said, there's no talking over. There's no, like, really second-hand accounts. It's all just footage that we're seeing and interviews that we're seeing with all the people involved. And it's it's just interesting um, seeing it all put together. Like, these, this is years and years spanned from their engagement to their wedding, the, um, the birth of their children, their separation... Um, all the you see all of the people lining up it was almost like the perfect reality show if that makes any sense the everybody was just so desperate to see to see what would would happen next and it turned in that and that's why like i think it was so um i mean I'm sure royals have had affairs. This is probably... Oh. I mean, but it never was so publicly um, displayed. And um, all of the things that they... Like, everything with Diana, good and bad, was put out there. Like, you know, they were talking about her eating disorders. They were talking about, you know, how she tried to... Um, was it while she was pregnant or right after she had the baby she threw herself down the steps and yeah, so everything was was kind of put on display about her and um you know we you do when you put everything together over 17 years it's a lot to take in in i think it was like a two-hour documentary because it's all right there in front of you instead of like coming out in dribs and drabs over the 17 years so when you look at all of the media and um everything happening it really like you you can understand how like it just um snowballed over you know and i i really it's it's just insane just watching it all like it starts off as this big fairy tale kind of thing and yeah, it just kind of melted away, mm-hmm. and then it got nasty, and but uh, and very sad. Yeah, and but you know, like I said, at the time they still kind of kept Diana in a positive light, which you know was decent. And I guess I, I don't even know when the actual stuff came out. Like, well, I, I, she did an interview where she did admit she was cheating, but it was like with one guy at that time, mm-hmm. so. I don't know how long after her passing they came out with the rest of it or not. I don't even know if that was before or after her death. But, like I said, I didn't follow her that closely. I just knew about her because they were, as we noticed in the doc, 
they were all over the media, just all over the world. Like, well, it was it was kind of funny because you see in this in this article I'm reading um, right now, it shows Diana's story through just media, and you kind of see the media's obsession with her because there's so much footage that they were able to put together her life as an adult. And that was crazy, too, because apparently it made reference to the point that even Charles was jealous that she was getting more attention than he was Mm -hmm. about things. And, uh, you know, yeah, and then the rumors just fly around, like, you know, she's controlling Charles or or she's doing this or that. But uh, in some ways, I guess you could say that she was one of those rare people, as far as women, that were very strong and independent because that was the thing that Sarah talked about was uh, their ability to, they don't want to go straight like people, like what was it, Oprah said to her in an interview to Sarah that why didn't you guys just play the game? She's like, well that's not how we're built. Mm, yeah, you we. Know? I mean you could just like do what you're supposed to do and that, but that's kind of like what Meghan Markle is dealing with right now and she, you know a lot of people criticize her and say well you've married into royalty so there are certain you know, yeah, that's because you and that's and people holding on to those old traditions. But I think that. Uh, but she and um, she's married to Harry, right? Yeah, the red. Yeah, uh, for them to actually leave and abdicate their titles, like, um, I I feel like it just you know you you look at it from the outside and you're like you have all this money and you have people. Um, just kind of doting on you and you're basically in the service of the people and you're doing charity work etc etc you get into it and then you realize like there are very serious rules and regulations and there there's like websites completely dedicated to who's in line for the throne and you know this person's like 87th in line because you're in the Windsor house or whatever. Right. There's a whole, I mean, we don't even know. We're just getting, you know, accounts of it. But like when you're in this Royal family, um, you know, the queen is, you know, the monarchy, the head, and you are only supposed to do certain things. If she's in your presence, you know, you're supposed to curtsy. Right. You, if she stops eating, you stop eating. Like, there's very specific rules about um, attire, like the you you know you can't be bare-legged. You're supposed to be wearing pantyhose all the time, uh, shirt like certain out. And, yeah, it's very archaic. And and that's why I'm thinking like maybe in this day and age when like you know these rules were made when the whole idea of a woman, as you saw with Diana, they, they just wanted her to make an heir to the throne. You know, look at us, we don't even have kids. And it, you know, it was a choice at first, but then it turned into just like uh, health issues with me that it turned into I could not have children even if I wanted to. So there you have to embrace that women have other purposes besides just popping out a few kids mm-hmm. and I think that's the whole idea is you're just like she she wanted to be in service of the people but she also didn't want to be subservient to her husband and she wanted it to be more of like a partnership and she wanted to be loved but 
I think neither one of them wanted to get married. Like you were kind of seeing neither one of them wanted to be with one another. It was an opportunity. And that's probably, you know, when you're 19, what the hell do you know? And you're, you know, her family was probably saying, you're marrying into the royal family. This is what you want. It's a big deal, yeah. And because it just unraveled, you're seeing, again, this is 17 years worth of footage squished into, I think, two hours. But it's really well done. It's, I mean. it's phenomenal that, and I think my point I'm trying to make is you, from watching it over the years, you know, it, it was like the biggest reality show. It was people had an obsession over the royal family, but you don't realize until it's all put in front of you in a short period of time, like how insane it was. You're you're seeing it over 17 years and it's just kind of, you know, tabloids. Oh, this is happening, that is happening. But when you kind of put it all together, it's, it's just so intense. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's on HBO Max. Uh, it's called The Princess or The Crown, I think. And then, the Princess. Uh, yeah, so check it out. I, I I found something here too. Like Harry and William, um, are kind of split on the footage that is being used. Um, because the the one interview, the BBC interview that where she was making comments about like, oh, it was quite crowded in our marriage with with three of us. Um, I think that that company, I forgot what the name of the show was, actually has been since sued and never told that they're never to air that ever again. Now, I don't know what that means for the documentary because it's in the documentary, right. but, um, I believe it was William was saying he, he feels like that, um, that like interview was like the nail in the coffin for his his parents relationship and i'm sure he understands like they they were not happy or whatever but they were just kind of like dealing with it but when that interview came out it just had charles painted in such a bad light and that was the one where she also admitted the affair and everything mm -hmm. that like william thinks it should be just put away and I think it will be. Harry is more, um, he said it's, it's something you can't erase from history. And it's, but it's still part of his mother's story. Right, yeah. I mean, it's like, look, uh, we can argue all day uh, the faults that Diana had. Like, she had more good than bad. But the reality is the way that things were presented to us throughout those years was that Diana was like this innocent person and it's like maybe she's not quite as innocent as everyone thought she was and it doesn't mean she's mean spirited or any kind of malice uh, but I think that you know I think you were kind of alluding to it a little bit when the family had Charles marry her it's like they didn't quite know they were going to open up Pandora's bot because she took advantage of that for herself like I think she came into it saying I don't want to be just known as like the nanny or the girl that he married to get kids out of like I'm going to go do some good with this like she made an effort 
to stand out for herself and then I think that's what you you know you got to was the family was just kind of upset that she wasn't being a traditional mm-hmm. wife but she wasn't going to be like that so for all the the good stuff you know there is a little bit of bad and I think that Harry's right that you kind of have to have that because no matter if Prince Charles is innocent and all this or not he's not but at least now we know it was both of them just didn't want to be there mm-hmm. together it was like a convenient marriage for them. And it's it's said that um, neither prince was asked about using that interview. And apparently, I didn't know this, but in May of 2021, um, a report by a British judge found that Bashir, the uh, interviewer, had duped Diana into the interview by using fake documents that purported to show staffers were taking money in exchange for planting stories about her in the media. So, and the BBC tried to cover it up. Mm-hmm. So, um, so they feel like, because that was in 94, 95, um, the end, William said, the interview was a major contribution to making my parents' relationship worse and since hurt countless others. And Harry said, the ripple effect of a culture of exploitation and unethical practices ultimately took her life. Um, I was after- probably right about that, too. I mean, like I said, it's the media, they they are corrupt. And, like, like you know, people argue with me. It's like, you know, the media has the right to do what they do they have a, a you know it's in the constitution but like i'm just like they gotta have some sort of reins like we we do what everyone else uh i don't see why the media should have free reign to do anything like they don't really what 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 once was the media looking out for its people they're no longer doing that because now they're manipulating how stories are told and we're seeing it even now like on with the internet and how much easier it is to access information uh, it's easy just to go out there and, and make up stuff and, and rule people in a way that, or drive them a certain direction. I, I get, this is one thing I've talked about with the, the Depp and Heard thing was, if you watch the trial, the evidence speaks for itself. And the verdict was correct. It doesn't really necessarily mean that Depp was innocent, but the, the evidence showed there are some problems there. Mm-hmm. But you read the, the mainstream media and some of these higher up you know women who were in these doing these articles like they're continuing to push this narrative that like no he was only found innocent because of misogyny or uh patriarchy and i'm like that's not the case like and this is what's happening with even the simplest things like this story Mm -hmm. uh so now you get like the bbc even there over in in the uk so like you still get that shit going on so it's very deceitful and i can see why the princes would be a little bit upset about that. They, um, they're angry because, um, apparently it was unethically, uh, obtained, so, obtained. Yeah. so the interviewer, Bashir, made the claims that, um, Tiggy made, the, the prince's nannies, um, made false allegations that she had an affair with Charles. And that's what kind of got her to do this interview. So after the interview, and I guess maybe Diana found out it might have been false and she was finding out that like all this stuff is going out. um, You know, they were teenagers when she passed away, so they weren't little. They 
they saw what was going on. Right, they were aware. They were aware, and they were kind of like, they saw after the downfall of that interview and after, like, that's when they ultimately really separated and got divorced. Um, it kind of, that interview really started to fuel um, Diana's fear, paranoia, and isolation and kind of gave more ammo to paparazzi. If, if that, because that was, it was all coming out more. And oh, yeah. They, I, after that, it was, you would see everywhere she went, she would try to go um, on vacation and they would have their telephoto lenses. They wouldn't be anywhere near her, but she could still. Still goes on now. And she, she would be uh, at her friend's house and they were like way across on a bridge, but she's like, and she'd spot them. Get and people in trees. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. So I think, um, I really think that it was, it was eye-opening. And I could not, I mean, it was well done and, and put together nicely. But it Yeah, was, I will say this. I know that you said the other son was a little bit upset about everything. But, like... I will say that the way that they did this doc all the way to the end was very nice. Like, mm -hmm. it wasn't really spitting on Diana in any way, uh, but it did show that she had some faults, you know, along with everyone else. But, you know, it wasn't like to try to drag her name in the mud. It was never like that because mm -hmm. it still talked about a lot about all the good shit she actually did and the respect that people get, you know, had for her. I mean, it, it was so much so that when she passed that there was that scene at the gates of the the Windsor, I think, where people are laying all these flowers, and it forced the Queen and the rest of the family to come out and actually meet the people and talk to them and deal with this mourning because they just weren't letting it go. Like they were continually sitting out there mourning Diana. These were piles of yeah, flowers. Yeah, it was it was a big fucking deal, and so it, you know because the royal family really wasn't saying too much. They were upset and sad about it, but they were like. At some point, they kind of just forced them to say, "Look, we got to reconnect with these people somehow and get back out there." And, and they said they've never done anything like that. Right. Clearly, people have died in, right. in royalty, but they they never have done that. And they actually. And that's something that Diana had started doing was going out and talking to people. And, and she, she was very like um, personal. AIDS was yep. a big thing of hers um, because, you know, she she went to see to Africa and saw the babies who and was holding and you know hugging and people were still this is the 80s remember people were scared of AIDS you just you couldn't be in the same room with somebody and you think you're going to catch AIDS from them so she would hug them shake their hands no no fear um and it was like that with everything like she didn't uh you know I'm sure at some point like with certain whoever she was around that were sick she had to be kind of careful but uh yeah, she just wasn't afraid to get right in there. And that was, you know, a lot of people looked at that and said, wow, that's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. And people took that to heart. So check it out, HBO yeah. Max. All right, kick it off our next block of music. It's some new stuff from Black Capricorn. This is Snake of the Wizard.
everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer, Hate Beak, and Zealot R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now. This is the Retro Movie Vault with your hosts DJ Anubis and DJ Neko only on Metal Tavern Radio. You haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these. Well, what about these two? Well, they suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I appreciate your ruse, ma'am. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. So, you don't think this is an obvious suicide, Mr. Pet Detective? Well, I wouldn't say that. Lord knows there's plenty of evidence here to support your theory. Except, of course, for that spot of blood on the railing over there. May I tell you what I think happened? Alrighty then. Roger Padactor went out after work. He had a few drinks and he came home. But he wasn't alone. Someone else was with him in this apartment. There was a struggle and he was thrown over that balcony. Roger Padactor didn't commit suicide. He was murdered. Well, that's a very entertaining story. But unfortunately, real detectives have to worry about that little thing called evidence. Uh-oh. I think I heard a toilet flush. <laughs> Maybe somebody lost a turtle. <laughs> well, I guess I'm a little out of my league here. Einhorn, good work. Ooh. Oh, there is just one more thing, Lieutenant. This woman is Roger Padactor's neighbor. She lives across the hall. She said she heard a scream. Is that right, ma'am? Right. And you said you had to open the balcony door when you keyed into the room? That's true. You're certain you had to open this door? Yeah, I'm certain. What's the point, Ventura? Only this. This is double-pane soundproof glass. There's no way that neighbor could have heard Pedactor scream on the way down with that door shut. The scream she heard came from inside this apartment before he was thrown over the balcony and the murderer closed the door before he left. Yes! Yes! Oh, yeah! Can you feel that, buddy? Huh? 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 I have exercised the demons. This house is clear. Losers? Get him out of 
Losers! Let's go, Ace! Losers! <laughs> yeah. Still good stuff, even after all this time. Neko's pick, of course, is Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. So, we, um, I don't know where everybody is listening from. Um, we have this thrift store. It's huge. It's called Savers. And, um, we picked up a bunch of DVDs a couple of weeks. Well, it's been like a couple of months, actually. It was like right when I got back. And they're super cheap, like $2, you know, and Ace Ventura was one of them. And when I was going through the retro DVD vault the other day, I was like, wait a minute, have we watched this? And he's like, no, we haven't. <laughs> so that's kind of how it started. Yeah, I always had it on VHS, but uh, we never got DVD. Although we should still probably get it on Blu-ray. But, you know, it's one of those things that after a time, you just have to kind of wait and get things that you want right away and other things that be in the background but we do have it uh obviously one of the cooler scenes in the film for me back i saw this in the theaters back in i think 91 or whatever it came too, out yeah and uh basically the scene where he's going into to see a friend who's like this high-tech hacker dude who uh has this little uh basically his little uh cat cave or shop in the middle of uh or behind some closed doors in like this uh venue where these bands play so cannibal corpse is one of the bands playing uh when he walks in and there's like this scene where he's like it actually wasn't the extended version unfortunately uh because we the extended version you actually see uh ace get up there on the stage and dive off and then like people carry him all the way to where the guy's door was uh but you know i still had a lot of fun seeing cannibal corpse on there uh film also has Courtney Cox, uh, the actress, as well as uh, Tone Loke, uh, Sean Young, of course, playing Detective Einhorn. Uh, it was very interesting to me when I pulled up... Well, let's first say what the movie's about. Yeah, for this ahead. So Ace Ventura is basically uh, Jim Carrey's debut movie. Well, I won't say debut because he did do like a Once Bitten or Vampire movie at some point earlier. But it was like his biggest hit. It was his point. first... like big starring role because he also did another movie with um uh it was called peggy sue got married and had uh nicholas cage in it yeah and but he was kind of like side a, character yeah side character but this was like his biggest role like as far as like coming out of like uh in living color which was like a comedy series they did for a while so basically ace ventura is a pet detective he's basically a detective who goes around uh finding lost pets uh for uh award money like early in the film he's trying to get this dove that's worth 25 grand <laughs> which comes back later in the film uh which we'll get to but uh so it starts off of course he's dressed as like a it's not ups but it's like a it's hds or something <laughs> and he's taking a box and like really you don't even really know what's going on at first this is the funny thing when you finally watch this in the theaters uh He's kicking the box around. It sounds like it's broken, but he's like just having fun going through the elevator, making it s stick between the doors. And, and he's going, oh. Yeah. So he's acting like he's all innocent while he's taking this box. It gets to his door, and he, this guy comes to it, and they're talking. <laughs> There's some funny back and forth about it. Sounds broken. Well, it probably is, sir. Uh, just sign here, here, and here, and here. 
Uh, but in the meantime, this guy has a dog that shows up to the door and is cute little, I think it's a Shih Tzu. And, uh, you know, Ace is like, in his disguise, he's like, hey, can I just pet your dog? It's very cute. He's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead, whatever. So next thing we know, he's coming out of the building and he's got his uh, buttoned-up shirt filled with uh, the dog. He took the dog and then we didn't... Once the owner realizes it's like a stuffed animal that's left behind, of course, it leaves a calling card that says you've been had by Ace Ventura or whatever. So that kind of kicks off what this is all about in terms of like what Ace does. Now, in the meantime, as far as the main story, uh, the Miami Dolphins football team, NFL football team, has a mascot, which is a dolphin named Snowflake. And we see a scene where the dolphin is kidnapped. And then, you know, uh, Courtney Cox is like, I guess she's like a PR person for the company or something like that. And then, uh, what's the guy's name that we'll get to? I found Captain Winky. Who was that? Roger Predactor. Predactor. He, uh, he's like, uh, uh, I don't know, what what is his job? He's more like... Uh, assistant coach or something uh but he handles all like the pr for the team whereas uh, courtney's character is more of like the upper management type thing dealing with uh how to get things handled so like she's in charge of getting the cops organized to find out what happened to the dolphin and what's going on so they're of course checking into like uh you know uh, animal rights groups and stuff like that uh, then they come across another woman who works at a desk in the, in the building, and she recommends Ace Ventura. At first, they're like, mm, yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, but she says he's very good and highly recommended. So Courtney's character uh, brings him. I think it's Monica is the name. Melissa. Uh, Melissa, yes. Thank she was you. Monica in Friends. Yeah, so Melissa brings him in, and she's interviewing him. <laughs> and one of the favorite moments in that interview is uh, she's showing film of Snowflake, the dolphin, to uh, Ace Ventura, and Ventura starts eating sunflower seeds, and he's putting the the the, the shells on the desk that her on her desk in front of her. So she goes, "Would you like an ashtray?" And he's like, "Oh no, I don't smoke. It's a dirty habit." So, <laughs> um, so yeah, the whole movie is just basically Ace going through different channels to try to find the dolphin, and, and he links it to like. A Super Bowl ring that lost a gem in the tank that the dolphin was stolen in. So that kind of leads him on a chase to track down um, players who were part of a specific Super Bowl year. And so he's going through and he's finding, and of course, it's funny how he has to try to get a look at their rings and whatnot. One's in the bathroom with a guy, which, you know, we'll kind of talk about a little bit more with the, the gayness of it or whatever because the guy turns out to be the football player, turns out to be actually gay. But, yeah, so we'll get to some of that stuff, too, because uh, it dives even deeper into stuff that I want to talk about. But, um, uh, should we just go ahead and give it away, like, what happens because it's so old? The movie's from 94. I think, I think we can give it away. Yeah, so basically what ends up happening is... Uh, Finkel, Finkel is Einhorn. There was a kicker of the Super Bowl year with the Dolphins who missed a game-winning field goal. And Ace Ventura figures that out by going to a mental asylum because the bullying and the pressure that Finkel took after the kick because he got fired from the, the Dolphins after that Super Bowl loss. 
Uh, they went to like they went to his house. Right. And so Vittoria went to the to his parents' house, and you know he's uh, Finkel's got like a room. He's not there, but his room is like showing all these revenge and nasty looking portraits of stabbing the picture of Dan Marino. Die, like, Dan, die. Because Dan held the ball wrong. And laces. That, the laces were in. But the mother of the Frey Finkel is amazing. It's a hilarious woman. And uh, she's like, that's all that Dan Marino's fault. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So eventually, uh, Ventura figures out that uh Finkel had been in the hot mental institution and he had figured out how to get out of it. He escaped, but uh, when Ventura was there, he found that in the belongings uh, that were left behind that Ray Finkel had uh, circled a name on a newspaper named Lois Einhorn, who, else, who actually has the same name as his, uh, not his boss, but the... The uh, lieutenant. Yeah, the lieutenant of the police department in Miami. Who he has a back and forth with the entire time because you heard in the clip and everything. She's just not a big fan of his. Uh, so Ray, you know, Ventura sees this and he's like trying to figure out what the connection is between Ironhorn and Finkel. And it takes a little while. <laughs> and then when he realizes what happens, he's like, oh my God, Finkel is Ironhorn. Ironhorn is Finkel. And it's, it becomes clear that Finkel has had a sex change or is working on it. Uh, obviously, not in real life, because Sean Young is a female, but, uh, as far as the movie and the plot's concerned, uh, it is a transgender. Uh, so, there is a funny moment where Damarine, <coughs> excuse me, Damarine was kidnapped. Um, <coughs> can you continue on for me here? Yeah, yeah so, Dan Marino gets kidnapped. Are you alright? Yeah, I don't know, I keep getting dryness in my throat for some reason. Take a sip. It is. You can do it. So, Dan Marino gets kidnapped, and, uh, I think, so Ace figures out that Dan Marino's been kidnapped. Yeah, he realized that was going to happen after visiting the parents. He's like, where is Marino? He called Melissa about it, and, uh, she said he was at one of those Aisha Torner commercials that mm -hmm. he was shooting, and so... Uh, Ventura's like, yeah, you know, you gotta get some police over there because he's a target. Because Finkel has uh, an axe to grind. This is all... And keep in mind, while this stuff's going on, the Dolphins are again going to the Super Bowl against the Eagles again. <laughs> which is kind of funny, but... Um, so, yeah, she has Marino kidnapped at this, like, local uh, Marina or Doc. And a couple little thugs who kidnapped Marina were there. So... Somehow, uh, Ventori follows them and gets, you know, follows where they are so he knows where they are. So he's, like, now trying to rescue Dan Marino. Mm -hmm. And finally is confronted with Lois Einhorn. And at this point, you have to understand that Marino doesn't even know who Einhorn is other than the lieutenant of the police force. Uh, but, of course, Einhorn keeps trying to drop hints to Marina like uh kickoffs like my favorite part of the game. My favorite part of the game. Kickoffs. Laces out, Marino. <laughs> uh so yeah, so she and it's funny because he, he oh Einhorn ends up kissing Marino, uh which she kissed Ventura at one point as well. Uh she looks you, like she kissed everybody. Yeah, I'll tell you why that becomes a factor. Uh 
so there's this, this back and forth now when when Ventura shows up he's like I'm in for a play the quarterback sneak and then of course Ironhorn pulls her gun and she's like penalty too, too many, many men, men on, on the, the field. field and so a lot of football jokes going back and forth and there's a little bit of a fight between Ironhorn and Ventura which is just done finally because you know uh, Ironhorn's kind of kicking his ass a little bit so Marino's like having problems with the lady the ace and he's like you don't understand <laughs> and then before he can even spit it out that Ironhorn's a man you know she grabs his jaw and pulls him back into the fight uh, eventually the, re- uh, the the rest of the cops show up because Ironhorn has called them they're gonna try to she's gonna try to pin it on ace as a kidnapper and probably kill them both whatever before the the struggle with uh, Ace takes place. Uh, so all the cops show up, and then, um, you know, uh, Einhorn has pretty much knocked Ventura to the ground, so she's like, you know, shoot him. But they're not going to shoot him without a weapon. Uh, at least not in this film, <laughs> you know. Uh, so as she's screaming for them to shoot him uh ace realizes he's got the opportunity now to kind of expose iron which he starts doing and uh before they can even try to arrest him though uh melissa shows up with tone Loke, who's a police officer in the force uh one of ace's good friends and she has uh tone's uh gun to his head and they're gonna pose as a threat to try to hold off what's going on because they are all very aware of what's going on because Again, uh, Roger Predactor uh, had a date with Einhorn, and we're going to get to that in a minute. <laughs> uh, so they, Ace starts laying out the, the, the plans here, the, the game, uh, as far as like, well, if you look like, like if you look up the all-time boneheaded plays in football, you might find a kicker named Ray Finkel who choked kicking a, uh, a field goal at the end of the game to win the Super Bowl and missed. <clears throat> what you wouldn't know, as he puts it, is that Finkel lost his mind, went to an institution, changed his name, and became a woman. And so he starts by, of course, pulling on Einhorn's hair, uh, which is real hair, by the way. Yeah, because she grew it out. Yeah, it's spam. But, uh... Getting, I'm, I'm over the spam calls. Right. So he starts pulling on the hair, and it doesn't come on. He goes, ah, that's really on there. So cops are kind of like, uh-huh. So then he decides he thinks that the uh, the breasts, of course, are fake. So he, he rips open the the shirt or brassiere, and like she has a bra, so there's no nudity in this. It's it's a PG movie, so but you could clearly see that they're real boobs. And he's like laughing. He's like, oh, you know, you can get that done over the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so next up is, of course, Einhorn's skirt. So he rips that off and. At first, you obviously see, like, there's no no penis. Like, it just looks like a girl's vagina. So he, now he's, like, fucked. He's, like, he starts kind of laughing. He goes, at <laughs> right. He's, <laughs> he doesn't know how to explain what he's trying to explain. But, of course, Marino, sitting a little bit behind them both, calls Ace over. And Ace says, excuse me one moment. And that's when uh, Marino uh, goes and tells Ace that there's something going on with uh, Einhorn's back end. <laughs> And so that's when Ace comes up. Realize he did the tuck. Yeah, he says, you know, either, I forget what he says before, but he says either this or this is the worst case of hemorrhoids I've ever seen. Turns her around, and of course there looks like a penis that's been tucked behind the ass area. That's why Roger Redactor was killed. He found Captain Winky. (laughs) 
So that scene, of course, I played at the beginning was the death of her doctor being thrown over the balcony because of the date. So that's what that's a reference to there. Um, so, yeah, there's a little bit more fighting that goes on, of course. Oh, yeah, when they finally see that there's a tuck there, the entire police force is, like, basically gagging and scratching their tongues because they've all probably kissed Einhorn at some point. Like, that's sort of the thing that's, you know, going on. <laughs> Uh, the movie is very funny. I know I've been reading a lot about how people have been responding to it in the last mm -hmm. decade or so because it doesn't fit the woke narrative that we have. But, you know, the, the, the more I look at this film, the more that I feel that, like, people are just really too sensitive because... I don't even want to say too sensitive. Um... Well, it's not even accurate either because, to me, this isn't about... Dim diminishing or hurting transgenders or making them look bad. It, my whole point about all this is that, you know, in the end, Ray Finkel was a bad person. Like, you know, he's a football player who just lost his mind. And despite the fact that he changed sex, it doesn't matter if he was in between the, tr the trans transformation. It's just that it's not about transgenders being murderers. It's about one dude who happened to be a transgender that ended up, you know, trying to kill people. I don't and even think, like, it wasn't meant for him to be transgender. He was just hiding his identity so that he could kill uh, right. Dan Marino. Right, right. And so I get to I get the point where people are saying, well, yeah, but everyone's, like, you know, scratching their tongues and puking or whatever because they kissed a, a transgender. But the reality is... If you really think about it in real life terms, like we, we, I've seen discussions with this on with YouTube people like uh, Blair White, who actually is a transgender and everything. She actually had an episode where her roommate was a transgender, and they had discussed beforehand that this her roommate was going to bring a guy home, and whether or not she should tell the guy that she's a transgender. And Blair said, "You should." Mm -hmm. So she didn't, and they ended up having sex, and then she told him afterwards, and the guy flipped out. And luckily, no one was hurt, but he was clearly upset. Mm -hmm. So the point is, is like, I know people are kind of complaining that sets like a bad example, but it really is, if you think about it, Einhorn, in reality, in reality uh, broke people's trust by kissing them anyway. And Not to match it was unprofessional as a cop, but I mean, I'm just saying... None of them knew that it was a transgender, then they wouldn't have kissed her otherwise because they're not, they not into it. Not only that, it was like they broke the trust because it was a fucking murder, right? You know, a, like a psycho. And they were the whole idea like, we hear these stories about people changing their identity for revenge plans. You know, that's one of the oldest stories in the book. This just happened to be someone changing sexes too and um you know it nowadays it it comes across as like being insensitive but it wasn't you know i don't think it was done really in an insensitive manner it was more done like to be comedic but you know a lot of of uh a lot of jokes are you know inappropriate but the whole idea is their jokes. Right. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be like it's okay to make fun of trans people. I'm just saying like, well, the, the but, joke wasn't about trans people. The joke was about this dude who lost his mind. Right. 
But, I mean, we, we discussed Chappelle and everything else with that, and you're right. It's all joking, and it, this is comedy. So nobody is off limits in comedy. And so, you know, I just I kind of get irritated when these these groups of people, it doesn't matter if it's women or transgenders or gays or lesbians, it's like they get upset about this stuff. But I'm like, that it, it's not really, it's not done in malice. It's mm -hmm. just done for comedic purposes. It may not be your type of comedy, and I understand that. But, you know, I've seen some reviews from people who say that the movie's just not funny. Like, you and I still laugh at it. Like, we just have a certain type of comedy that we like, and it can be pretty... Uh, non-PC. It doesn't matter if it's stand-up comedians like Eddie Murphy or Nikki Glaser or whatever or if it's just movies like Ace Ventura and, and Grandma's Boy. That's mm -hmm. very uh, it pushes boundaries comedy. Yeah. Though. So like people just don't get it and if you don't like it that's fine. I, I don't have a problem with that but to poo-poo on it or say you know it's trying to be transphobic. I don't get that at all because that's not really the purpose of the film. You're just missing the overall point of the film. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's the kind of stuff that bothers me about what's going on with stuff now. Like today, I just, I, I literally had to put a dude on full blast a little bit because uh -oh. one guy posted in The Nation, which is a, a group on, my, on Facebook, it's Rod's group for ETN. What is it? <clears throat> Entertainment Nation. Rob. Oh, oh, okay. It's, it's his group on Facebook. So, uh, But one guy said, you know, I watched the first episode of Hulk, She-Hulk, and there's a couple of woke moments, but overall I like the, the episode. And so the first thing some dude does is come and say, well, you know what, dude? Don't don't mention woke. It just That's so like 2015. Grow up. And so some girl came in and said this guy was being a snowflake or whatever. And I said, look, man. Uh, getting triggered by the word woke is also pretty uh, sad. So grow up yourself. You know, just quit. People need to quit worrying about whether the word's woke or whether this comedy fits your type of comedy that you like. Like, it, it, it's not transphobic at all. I just, I push so hard against that. Um, that's like saying <clears throat> the movie Friday pushes, like, the idea that black people are lazy pieheads who do nothing and sit on their chairs every day. Like and, and, you know, they're, like, all drug dealers and right, drug users. Right, right. So, like, you don't hear people saying, well, this movie is very racist, and it, even though it was produced by Ice Cube. So, like, you, you just can't come at me with that stuff. Like, you have to be smarter than that. And, I, you know, obviously when we watch other movies nowadays where they try to push certain things, like, She-Hulk probably does push some... I've seen, like, a scene where... She's talking to Banner about something regarding how she's got to fight every day to keep the sexist people, guys away or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that's fine. It's woke. Uh, but, I mean, even if it was subtle, it wouldn't be that bad. But the reality is the series might be very good. I don't know. I, my only reasons for not really being interested is the same thing we've talked about with Miss Marvel and some of the other ones is that they're just characters that we don't know much about we're much more invested in the main characters of the phase one well, Marvel we're, stuff. we're not even feeling like a connection to them anymore right so uh you know unless it's characters that i'm already invested in i'm not really going to be that excited i might check it out obviously but uh if if i have any reasons for not liking it um she hulk that is mm -hmm. it would be because i just not i can't find any connection with it
uh, I had seen some posts on Twitter, uh, which is a mistake of mine, but they were saying that uh, people were view bombing She-Hulk before it got released. What does that mean? It means that what it, IMDb. So basically, and this is IMDb's fault because if you're gonna have people give reviews of series or movies on there. You probably should hold off and gain and let them have access until after that movie or show has been released. Because what happens is this is one of the things that Rotten Tomatoes is the complaints about Rotten Tomatoes is that people get on there and let's say your movie is going to come out next week. Mm-hmm. Well, they'll just start saying if they think it's woke or it's stupid or whatever, they're going to start writing bad reviews. And what it does is it drives down to percentages. Oh, so they're like purposely fixing the numbers. Right. But. I went to look on IMDb, and out of the 17 reviews that I had seen at that time, maybe three of them gave them, like, one out of ten. But the arguments that people were making was like, well, how can you give that if it hasn't been released yet? I said, that's true. That's a good point. However, I made a point to tell these people, I said, well, you guys all have valid criticisms about people review bombing, but here's the other thing. The other reviews on there, people were giving them eight and ten out of tens and saying... Well, I don't like what people are review, uh, review bombing this, but I think since it's coming out, I think it's going to be good, so I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Like, so they're giving, because they haven't even seen it, right. and they're still giving it a higher... Right, so, so it, you got two people doing the same damn thing, and I'm like, well... Oh my god. You're right. So, it, it, But that's really IMDb's fault, because they need a better way to control when people can, you know, put up reviews. Like, I know some people... Uh, or like some people said they were gained access access usually critics uh, mm-hmm. gained access like a week or so behead, beforehand uh, but not everybody is so like that's really the, the IMDB's fault for not controlling that aspect of it mm-hmm. uh, but yeah you know like I'm just saying again like you know it's okay if someone comes out and says there's a couple of woke scenes but they still enjoyed the episode like I don't have a problem with that uh Again, it may not be something we're into. If we check it out, we may not even like it. We watched like two or three episodes in this Marvel. And I, just, I only watched the first one. Well, I watched a couple. I watched Moon Knight all the way through. It was okay, but again, I can I don't I won't live or die without it. So it's like I don't care about that series. Yeah, I kind of wanted to watch Moon Knight. It's okay. You might, I, I mean that seems more interesting than the Miss Marvel to me. Now She Hulk. We I saw the, the trailer. Is, like, for us, we are. Um, Adults mm-hmm. and Miss Marvel, it seems like very like kid. a kid show, right, and right, that's right. why I think we didn't. Now, granted, I, I I do like kid shows. I mean, I'll watch kid shows all the, well, not all the time. But well, you, one thing they said about She Hulk was that it was supposed to like sort of revert back to the eighties with the. You remember how like the Hulk with Lou Ferrigno? Ferrigno. Ferrigno. Uh, how his was kind of like a little more campy. So I guess that was sort of the direction she yeah, was going. Yeah, but the thing is, is they should have did the Lou Ferrigno thing. They should have had Banner as one dude, and then like, or or her, whatever She Hawk's name is. They should have had a She Hawk, and then like a bodybuilder painted, you know, green with makeup. This CGI is kind of cartoony looking. Almost remember we said it looked like Shrek. Shrek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I know some people, you know, said that too. And like so that. That was one of the things we just noticed first. Like you can, we you, when you watch Miss Marvel, it just seems a little bit better with the CGI in that than it does in the the Hulk stuff. But you know, again, we haven't checked out the first episode. 
But, you know, it might be entertaining, but, like, again, this guy who was getting upset because the guy mentioned woke, it's like, don't get upset about that, dude. Just roll, let it roll off his shoulder. Like, you know, it's so weird that people are still getting bent out of shape about that. Like, it just, it is, that's the times that we're living in. That's what the guy, that's why the guy mentioned it. He's like, you know, right now, that's just one of the things that's a topic for everybody who watches movies and series. Like, that's just what it is. It's... We talked about it with Prey. Same thing. There's some There's some in there. So it's like, we were okay with it. The movie wasn't quite as good as people were making it out to be. But, you know, the woke stuff and that didn't really bother me. I didn't... I wasn't really phased by it. I thought it was a little overdone. But... Because every time you turn around, she was like being bullied by... Well, being bullied by the, the men or whatever and whatnot. But, you know, it wasn't enough to take away from the, the movie itself. Like, we got into the kills and... All that other stuff, and I thought she—I thought the actress did a fine job. I mean, I didn't have a real big problem with that. I also, um, I think, you know, what you were saying when we were looking at Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb—it's one of the reasons that that vouch fault kind of got started because they were really sick and tired of like just looking at strangers' takes on stuff on the internet. And it was more fun to, like, follow what your friends are vouching for more so than IMDb. Right. So, I, so going back to East Ventura, like, it's okay to, like, not find it funny, but I don't think it was going to a point where they literally were just trying to be hurtful. Right. If that makes any yeah. sense. There's no way, like, especially if you know who Jim Carrey is. This guy came from a show that was very diverse in the people that were there. If you had a problem with, I have to, hate to say, if you have a problem with Carrey in this film, you had to have a problem with Damon Wayans and Living Color playing the gay dude. Well, they did. Like the, I think it was Steve Greer. Was he the other one that was? Did they did the two of them? Mm-hmm. Where they did Men Men About Movies or whatever. right, right. So like, I, I just I get it enrages me that like, oh, you're gonna complain about this dude, but you're not gonna complain about this. But stuff. they they have like complained about oh really like, that recently. It, yeah, that it's not aged well, and some of the comedy is like. But that's the thing. It's like you you can't even like. But see, that's the problem. That's why comedians are getting upset about this stuff. You're trying to dictate what they want to write their comedy about, and they pick on everybody. Uh, it changed the way. Like we talked about, as is Aziri. Like it, what his shit, what happened to him? It changed the way he does comedy. I think it changed the way he did like life. Right, and so. It's fine if he wanted to make that choice for himself, but like, you allowed somebody, you allowed the masses to basically force you to not be who you were. Like, that's, to me, it's just sad. Like, now you're just being a puppet to somebody else. Like, you're not doing what you're, you want to do. You're just folding away. Whereas Chappelle's like, fuck you. I'm going to do what I want to do. I have friends that are transgender. They don't have any problems with this. And he even, like, he had that huge show and when he felt like it wasn't working for him or it was just like um pandering or whatever that's he walked away Mm -hmm. and now he's back to doing what he likes to do which is 
you know, his his stand up. He yeah. he just so it's it's really interesting, like because comedy is very subjective, and then when you look at some things like from the seventies or or eighties and stuff, like those things now with a new comedian you wouldn't be able to say it without getting... Right. You couldn't make Ace Ventura today. You just couldn't do it. Um, hell, you probably couldn't even make, like, Austin Powers or any of that. Like, it just... So many stuff from a lot of these comedians, uh, you know, past, like, they just... The way that our society is now, like, it would just... They would crush it. The critics would... And that's sad, too. That's, again, comes back to the media. You, we, we talk about the review bombing of just fans. Mm-hmm critics automatically put anything that's i'm gonna use the word woke up into the 90 percent. like you're, they're not even caring if the story's good or not it's like oh we've got native american actors well fuck i don't care if the movie sucks or not i'm just gonna give it a fucking 90 percent because of that like that's dumb that, that's not being a true critic like you're not cri- criticizing the movie or, or checking it out or being objective you're just determining your own agenda and bias of what you want out of it rather than what it actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, I get it, and Neckle gets it, you know, movies and music is subjective, so there's always that, but no matter if you've got stupid trolls who are review, review bombing stuff for, like, She-Hulk, you're always going to have the other end of that, where people are just going to glorify something because of it has a certain thing, because... Oh, uh, like Miss Marvel, like, you go into it, and it's like the first thing you hear is, well, it's got, like, uh, what do you, what would you call her culture, race, uh, Indian? I'm not sure. Well, yeah, so anyway, she's a person of color, and that's fine, but that's what you try to, you make the bigger deal of the wrong things, like, it's not about whether or not she can act or do the role right, like, I thought she was fine as an actress, I didn't have a problem, it's just... As you said, it was more of like a kiddie show, which wasn't designed for us. Some adults get it, and they like it. That's fine. Uh, and I know guys like Jad, who reviewed it and everything, they, he likes it because of the culture, because that's his culture. And I think... I think uh, and I get that. that that's something that makes sense to me. I like, think it's also, too, like he's neurodivergent, and, and he kind of felt like growing up in a family, like he felt her right, issue. Right, right. And that's fine. Uh, but, like, if I'm going to like something, it's not going to be about whether or not it's a white actor or a black actor or, or a pink actor or whatever. Uh, if I find a movie's good, I'll like it. And you and I have a, a, a wide taste of movies that we've liked, and we, we always talk about it through these reviews that we do. And, uh, you know... Really, for me, it just comes down to whether or not you can do the roles good, whether the script is good. We talked about with Ghostbusters 2016. The actresses weren't the problem. It's the fucking script, and it's the guys that created it for them, and how the girls were actually dealt a bad hand with that. So, everyone else is making us think about, oh, it's women. That's, you know, the haters about the women. And then the other part of that's like, oh, well, you only don't like it because it's the women. Well, it's not even the women's fault. It's a fucking dumbass script and movie. I mean, it, it is, it's weird. I, I just, I wish people can come back to a bit of a, a more middle ground when they do, when we discuss movies and stuff like that and music because it's just no one wants to hear anybody else. It's like, boom, boom, that just back if and forth. If it's not on, like, your vanilla 
you know, straight and narrow, don't offend anybody. We have to remember these are works of fiction too. So. Right. Yeah. Again, and so even if you don't think Ace Ventura like aged very well because it is a very old movie, it's. It, but for you and I, we still got a kick out of it. Like watching. Jim Carrey uses ass to talk with. Yeah, I just I mean, thought that was now. the funniest thing. So, but that's our type of humor. We love do, potty humor. Do could I get some breath mints? <laughs> do I have breath mint? Oh my god! I'm, I'm trying to keep him quiet. He's holding hold a seat. On, yeah, hold on. I'd like to ask you a question. <laughs> right. All right. Well, let's get back into the to music here we've got some uh, salt coming up new stuff from them also escula grind this is a band that actually played with nomas the other night in colorado uh so we got a little bit of them dark side of humanity uh classic stuff from abhorrence but here's some brand new stuff from toxic this is called creating the abyss nice.
Once again, thank you all for tuning in, supporting this podcast, supporting our website. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. Again, thank you to uh, Nuno Lorenzo from SalQ for taking the time to uh, do the interview with us. We appreciate it a lot. Um, as I said before, you can find our interview with him on our YouTube channel at DJ Anubis88. Uh, also, uh, we have merch for sale, folks. Uh, different things like shirts and coffee cups and bottle openers and stickers and stuff. So if you go to our website at MetalTimeRadio.com, at the very bottom it says a shop button there. Uh, so if you want to help us out in any way with, uh, you know, it's like a donation, really. We don't get paid a lot for this. A lot of the money we put out is our own, so we're losing money, basically. But because we love uh, the genre of music and supporting the bands and the underground, this is why we do this. Uh, but, yeah, anything that you might like or can help us out a little bit uh, is muchly greatly appreciated. Uh, Neko had to go and take care of the rabbits because our friend that uh, comes and clips the nails for the rabbits is here, so she's taking care of that. And uh, just a quick um, shout out to Krypton Scully and Metal Mania. I just learned that uh, their kitty cat, Mr. Meowgi, had passed away today, so I'm uh, very sorry for that. Uh, big cat lovers that we are as well. And going through the pain of losing a, a pet like that, um, any pet really, uh, is very sad. And my heart goes out to you, man. Um, you know, I know he's a really great cat and everything, so really sorry to hear that. I uh, got one last track for you all. Um, it's from a band called Prometheus, and the song is called The Devouring Chasm. And we'll see you next time. Take care. <laughs>